we're in a, a series or a conversation about finding your, your path, the biblical journey, on what God wants for you. Um, so, sometimes we think what God wants is something he wants from me. I must give something. And then sometimes our spiritual journey is about what I want from God. So there's this conversation. But then there's this part of Scripture where God planned things, predestined is the word, uh, good works for us to walk in, and what he wants for us. Uh, his dream for us and figuring out how to find it and follow it. So we've been in a conversation about that over the last week or two. And if you would like, you could catch up morning service conversations um, by going to YouTube uh, or podcast and following the Father's House um, thing and catch up there. So tonight, I, I um, before I tell you the title, maybe I could describe it to you in terms of a relationship. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not um, recently in one, but, but have you ever um, seen in a friend or in yourself people that really love each other and the way they express it is by fighting. Have you, have you seen that? Not that kind of fight. Not, that's illegal. I'm just talking about always biting at each other, always agitated with one another. But if you peel away the agitation, actually, they should just get into a relationship and get it over with because this is just irritate, you are irritating all your friends by being like that. It's one of those strange um, um, expressions that sometimes people who don't have the words or don't have the solutions in their frustration are expressing, I love you, but they don't have those words or they don't have the strategy or the method. They express it by saying, you, you irritate me. Now, I just want to warn you that not everybody who is irritating to you is in love with you. And that it doesn't mean now that just because somebody has always been irritating to you, now you're like, ah, that's the one. There still has to be a whole lot of other stuff in between. But there is a type of expression of affection where people are a little bit unwise, maybe even immature, and they do it through anger instead of through love. Okay, so with that idea in mind, um, I'm, I'm entitling my conversation tonight, The Blessing of Disruption. The Blessing of Disruption. You know, if we uh, only want things to go as they are, and if our definition of peace in our lives is that how things went well yesterday will be the same today or tomorrow, and things will continue to go well in that way, uh, then nothing will change. And what God has planned for you may, may never catch your attention because nothing is disrupting your present path. And I want to encourage you that disruption, although painful at times, can be uh, God's divine intervention. That sometimes the way God intervenes in our lives is not by sending us a wonderful angel with bright light. That sometimes the way God interrupts our lives is by sending us a fight, a struggle, a journey, a conflict, a pain, and on the other side of that is God's plan for us. I'm not expecting you to go, amen, I Lord, I receive pain and I receive struggle, but I want you to know that sometimes when something clashes, the consequence of that is you figure out your real path. 
Amen. And there is a beauty in that that I think is really remarkable. So I thought I would go to a passage of Scripture uh, that's one of the, perhaps one of the most um, aggressive moments in Jesus' life. And I just want you to know that Jesus' aggression in this passage of Scripture is not because he hates us, but because he loves us. So bear that in mind, and then let's read this passage of Scripture. John chapter 2 from the NIV, it says this in the temple. Uh, He found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So this was borrowing and lending. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove out uh, all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. Uh, He scattered the coins of the money chargers, overturned their tables. Those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning what? My father's house. I mean, that's a, that is, we are, we've been in the Bible the whole time. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. It's a, that last phrase is a description. When you know the Messiah has come, one of the things you'll see, he's zealous for God's house. Okay, so let's clear out like some obvious stuff. Does that mean like we shouldn't have pancakes and pizzas at church? Let's just clear that. Because <laughs> I know some of you are like, okay, interesting, but what about that? Um, first of all, that's warehouse one. Okay, this is church. That's warehouse one. <laughs> Markets belong in warehouses and church services belong in auditories. Can we have an amen? Okay. Uh, That literally was like one of the big reasons why we wanted a separation was like when we pray for people, we don't want someone in the front going, you know, I'll have a double shot while we're laying hands, you know. But it's got nothing to do with stuff like that. What was happening is a little backstory. Then I'm going to give you three principles and I'm going to be finished probably by 10 to 7 so that we can pray. Is that okay? Are you good with that? Now, I know you came all the way out and like um, you, uh, you had to choose your outfit and most of you chose your outfit and and, your, and you had to do your hair. Sorry, Danny, you're, you're laughing so loudly. You had to do your hair and I get all that. But I want room for the, for the prayer. So it's not a compromise. I just think I want room for the prayer. So here's what was happening. Backstory. People were coming to the temple the Old Testament or the Old Times version of church with needs. Come with hurts. Come with insecurities. Come with problems. And then they would wait uh, for an opportunity for a priest to pray for them or a message to go out or something. And in the gap between when a prayer happened and the person feeling relief, some unscrupulous people saw an opportunity. So they said to themselves, these people who are in these desperate needs or hurts or insecurities or uncertainties, if we said to them, listen, you should buy a dove from me because I'm here already and the doves are here and they're lovely. And you should go back into the prayer line and offer the dove as a sacrifice. Your solution will come quicker. So people, because of desperation, think about it. Think you're praying for healing for a terminal illness or you have a mental anxiety or a crisis or you're asking God for clarity about buying a business or stepping out in faith. They they would go, well, I mean, it's in the church. It must be right. I'll just do it. And people were making money. 
out of the pain and the prayers of other people. Now, that is, so, so like if we said to you in front here that we would only pray for you if you bought a pancake, then we are breaking the rule. Um, but otherwise, it's really not. So um, the, the reason why I picked this passage of Scripture to talk about um, your path, finding the path God has for you, is that this symbolizes, I mean, it was both a, a real thing that happened, and but it also symbolizes a category of conflict, spiritual conflict that I think we all have to deal with and hopefully resolve tonight. And that is the danger of running our spiritual lives based on a transaction with God. The keeping of record of how he is doing and how we are doing in our relationship. That is a very destructive relationship to have. Do you know, even in human relationships, the Bible says we should keep no record of wrong, right? Now I know that that's a tough scripture, that First Corinthians 1. True love keeps no record of wrong. And, and I know that to truly love somebody and forgive them many times over for the same thing is a challenging, I get the challenge there. And you're not allowed to use that scripture as an excuse like, babe, I'm going to do something that upsets you, but you can't keep, you're not allowed to keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> um, because the idea is that if your wife isn't going to be your judge, then your God will be. So I'll be, if I'm going to be completely honest, I think your wife should rather judge you yeah. than. Like I'm just putting it out there. Your wife's punishment you know, lasts for a season, but the Lord's punishment can be from everlasting to everlasting. So that is not an excuse. But there is a kind of Christianity that seems to have developed. And it it's, comes and goes, and it certainly was in Bible times, where people were having transactional relationship with God, not a sacrificial relationship with God. So uh, what I mean by that is, uh, if God makes a move, I'll make a move. If I make a move, I expect God to make a move. A sense of whether God is fair or unfair, a feeling like God has been unfair because I did all I was asked to do and I committed all I, and I don't feel like God did his part. Or vice versa, you might think, I know why God isn't coming through for me. I haven't done something. I have failed at something. I am not enough. And so this transaction develops. And if you ever get into this kind of relationship with God, you're definitely always going to feel like you're losing. Because we can't get into a transactional conversation, in other words, a winner and loser conversation, with God and feel like we're winning. That just is not pleasant. And I, So I thought what would be good tonight is if we spent a little bit of time <clears throat> um, having examples, uh, tackling examples of unhealthy transactional relationships uh, with God and how to get out of them. And um, the reason why this is really important is, you know, Throughout the Bible, even pretty um, well-known people in the Bible had transactional relationships with God, and God had to teach them how to live right. Um, think about Esau and the selling of a birthright. That was a transaction, right? Think about the most famous transaction in the Bible for 30 pieces of silver, the transaction of Judas, how much transactional stuff. And then there's other kinds of transactional stuff in the Bible, like the mother, the nosy, or the, what's the word? The extra mother. 
who, who, who came to Jesus and said, I want my boys to sit on your, on your left and on your right. Like a little too far, like crossing a boundary, engaging in a transaction. Think about Peter himself who tried to have a transaction with God. Wherever you go, I will go. And whatever you do, I will do. And nothing can stop me. And then he did the transaction. He said, you see all these other 11 disciples? They're going to desert you, but not me. I'm going all the way. It's you and me riding shotgun. Bros forever, Jesus. And then like at a fire, a servant woman says, aren't you one of, and he's like, no, who, me? I don't know these people. People are weird. This negotiation that takes place. And there's a powerful scripture in Ruth I found, I thought was really impactful on, on this unhealthy transactional relationship versus healthy transactional relationship. It's um, Ruth 4, um, verse 7. It's from the Amplified. It says this, uh, Now, formerly in Israel, in other words, in the old times, this was the custom, that's what people normally did, concerning redeeming and exchanging property. Whenever you came to an agreement, this was the custom. To confirm a transaction, a man pulled off his sandal and gave it to the other. And I thought about maybe we should try that tonight. Maybe just pick a friend and give them your shoes. But I knew that wasn't, I didn't think that... <laughs> <laughs> Mike and Vian have already reached an agreement there, irrespective of shoe size. Let's see who the winner is. But, but, um, but interesting that statement because uh, I'm not like um, jokes aside. Uh, can you think of a famous time in Scripture where the taking off of a sandal took took place? It was, it was a burning bush, and 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 it it was a man of God called to lead the people of Israel, but so insecure. And he was constantly wrestling with God. I'm not the right man. You've got the wrong guy. I killed a man by mistake. Don't try that at home. I don't know if I should. And God says, let's settle this matter, that I will be your fire, but you will never burn up. I will keep you from burn out. Let's make a deal that if you give me your life, I'll be good to you all the days of your life. And stop the negotiation. And this man says, I'll take my sandals off because this is a holy agreement. And I'll walk in holiness with God. I'm stopping the negotiation. I surrender. God, all to you, I surrender. One of the things you have to eventually do is settle a matter. You have to settle a matter. You've got to settle in your heart that you have a fresh start. You have a born date and a born again date and just settle the matter. You have to stop negotiating it. When you get married to the right person, settle the matter in your heart and say, the two shall become one and let no man pull it apart. Settled in your heart. You've got to be grafted into a church sometime or the other and settle that matter in your heart and say, I am not just part of the general body, but I am grafted into a body and I've Settle that matter, and I offer nourishment, and it offers nourishment, and I'm not doing this transaction anymore. I'm not going to think about being a Catholic on Monday and a Seventh-day Adventist on Saturday. That would be the right day to think about that, wouldn't it? And then, and then think about like I'm a charismatic, Pentecostally guy on all the other days of the week. Um, you have to settle some things. And once you do that, a kind of peace comes into your life. But you know, equally importantly, you're no longer the victim of abuse. Because the reason why these guys were getting away with selling stuff to the saints was because the saints were insecure. 
And if somebody said, you know what, I've got this schmancy goat here that you should buy from me because it's, it's got the right color on it and the priests will love it. And they, they even had like, I'm not even joking, like don't do homework on this, that's what you guys have me around for. But like even the color of the, of the fur like was more expensive. And if you had like, a, like quite a reddish color, like a, a strawberry color, big money for, like, what's going on? When did God, you know, when did God get so fashion conscious that he preferred sacrifices made from mohair rather? I mean, it's wild stuff. People get into wild stuff all because they haven't settled the matter in their hearts. Amen. We'll never in this church say, for instance, on things like money or things like relationship, that if you do this, then God will do that. Never. So that is encouraging a transactional relationship. What you want is a surrender. Lord, I walk in obedience to your will, and then God will out everything you in your life. It's just, it's not a transaction. It will be a completely ridiculous transaction, unfair transaction. I am unashamedly the beneficiary of more than I deserve. That is the way it works. I am a product of grace. And therefore, it's not a transaction. In fact, uh, to be honest, uh, if I gave him all that I am and all that I have for all of the time I have remaining, it would not bring me to the starting line of what he has done for me. I couldn't. And to think that God would be waiting at the starting line to look at me and say, do something. It's so ridiculous. The sovereign one is so far ahead that uh, it, would be, it would be like you running a race with a three-year-old and wondering why they don't keep up. It's like just, do you know what I mean? What do we do when you play a game with a three-year-old? Let them win. Okay, not some, because they're here from Cape Town waiting for salvation. <laughs> They'll sort you out. Don't worry, Jesus. Is a, you let him win. I heard a story years ago. I'll have to speed it up if I want to finish when I said. Years, years ago, I, I think it's, it's from a bit of a radical book. Don't, don't buy it if you don't really want to have radical disruption. Uh, I forget the name of the book, but the author was Tommy T God Chases. It's called God Chases. came out in the 80s. We did have books then. And... Um, and I, you know, some of it was just too radical for me. But there was one part that just blew my mind. This idea that God has made himself known in the universe. And the author Tommy Tinney, whom I heard preach this in person in East London many years ago, made a remarkable point. He said, you know, if God was to play hide and seek with us like a father with a child, he would not hide himself so well that the child could not find him. He would hide himself just enough so that there was enough of him sticking out that his child would find him. Because the joy is not in hiding so well you are never found. The joy is in the giggle of the child who finds you. And God is not trying to hide himself so he cannot be found. There's a bit of him sticking out in the universe all over so that the joy of your discovering him is the pleasure of the Father. Does that, does that make sense? Otherwise, otherwise he could, he could could hide himself in a way that we would never. And in the words of a 12-year-old child in a book I read about kids' church once, to simplify that whole thing, and just sometimes a child can just make it easy. The 12-year-old at kids' church was, 
asked if they had invited Jesus to come into their hearts, and the child said, not yet, but they would do it today. And the teacher said, that's a great idea. Do you have any questions? And she said, I'm just 12, and if Jesus comes into my heart and he's bigger than me, won't he stick out? Well, isn't that the point? Isn't he supposed to stick out? He's not trying to hide himself impossibly. Um, I'll try not to cry over this part, uh, and then I'll go through the next two quite quickly. I got a message this morning from somebody who was in church, and I, I should read it, but I'll post it on my socials, like follow me on threads. <laughs> Hit me up on X. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, so this mom said, hey, I'm in this new relationship, and this guy has two kids, and we brought the six-year-old and the 12-year-old to church for the first time ever in their lives today. And um, the six-year-old prayed a prayer, prayed at the end, and then wouldn't stop crying. And so she picked her, her up, and she's still just uncontrollably. So they sat down in the chair. I saw them sitting. I wondered what was going on. And asked the six-year-old, what's going on? And she said, I, I, I think I met Jesus here today. Is this how it's supposed to feel? Sometimes the simplicity of it just is the, the spiritual part of it, hey? not the analytical part. And then the second kind of bad transactional relationship with God I want to talk to you about is the, the unreasonable sacrifices. This is the, the feeling that and no amount of sacrifice is enough sacrifice, and that God remains permanently not pleased with you. You know, that is a, a, a lie of the devil. In theological terms, we talk about it as condemnation versus conviction. Romans reminds us in chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit makes you feel bad about something to prompt you to correct it. Condemnation is the spirit of this world or the devil making you feel bad about you. See, now that's the difference. Conviction says what you did wasn't right. Condemnation says you are broken. And that is an unfair thing to find. Because we live in an imperfect world. So if you look long enough, you'll find imperfection everywhere, including in you. And so it's easy to play against that imperfection and make you feel condemned. But God is our Redeemer, and we are not condemned. Hebrews 10 reminds us, if burnt offerings and sacrifices were enough, God would be delighted in them, but he finds no delight in it. Hebrews 10 goes on to say, Every priest stands at an altar ministering daily, offering the same sacrifices over and over again, which are never able to strip away sins that envelop and cover us. No amount of sacrifice, personal or otherwise, will settle your relationship with God. It is not you doing the sacrificing that fixes your relationship with God. It is God doing the sacrificing that fixes your relationship with God. You have to stop trying to get to heaven. You have to let him take you. 
That's the difference. Do you see the difference? The one with the resources, the one who did the sacrificing. Now, an unhealthy relationship with God calls for constant sacrificing in an unreasonable way. It's never enough. Now, does that mean you never sacrifice? Oh, all the time. Sacrifice joyfully because I'm not doing it in a transaction. I sacrifice with or without expectation of a response from God. I do it anyway. And then he always surprises us, doesn't he? Uh, remarkably. And then finally, the last kind of uh, transaction, I guess, that this passage of Scripture helps us figure out is the idea of unpaid debts. Um, unpaid debts. And that was one of the things like, hey, you owe God stuff. Buy this thing from me. Um, lend money. You don't have enough money. So they'd go to the guys and say, you know, what you need, you need to make a bigger tithe or you need to do a something. And the guys would say, hey, I, I gave God everything I could I could bring with. And I said, don't worry, don't worry. Borrow some from me, and then next year when you come with your harvest, you pay me some first, and then the rest, and you never get free from that. I want to remind you that um, if you feel you still have an unpaid debt in your heart, uh, do one of two things. Either contact the person and settle it, or reach out to God and settle it, but one way or the other, Receive forgiveness and walk away so that you are not a victim of the devil wanting to make you pay for an unpaid debt that Jesus already paid. It's so important. You mess up somewhere along the way or you take a wrong turn or you say a wrong thing. And then this, if you're a, like a, just a good human, you feel bad. And then the devil comes and and prompts you, okay, what are you going to do about that? And you do some things. And then he prompts you some more, what are you going to do about it? And then you, you try something, it doesn't work out. And the devil says, you know why that didn't work out? This thing. And I just, um, I think it's a, it's a cruel, um, let me conclude by saying it this way. Never let uh, Christianity become a drug that numbs you from your pain. Uh, let faith be um, a healer that heals you from your pain. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to manage it. You're supposed to be set free from it. Right. That's the key. Romans six. For the death that he Jesus died, he died uh, to sin, ending its power, paying the sinner's debt once and for all. And the life he lives, he lives to glorify God in unbroken fellowship with him. This idea that we don't have to be in a transactional relationship with God, a negotiation rather, we don't have to keep paying some price for something he's already covered, should give you peace. You know, most people's burden is not the sin. Most people's burden is the punishment they feel they deserve for the sin. Isn't that amazing that we feel sometimes where punishment is due? I want to encourage you, end the negotiation, surrender to the Savior,
Make unconditional sacrifices. Love unconditionally, not waiting to keep a record to see if God will keep up with you and if other people will keep up with you. And let it be known that your Father in heaven sees everything that you do. That not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing on earth still means that your Father in heaven looks upon you and goes, see my son, see my daughter, who in privacy and in the inner sanctuary did these things, I will reward them for the things that they have done. And maybe cut the ties of this, this negotiated relationship with God. He's not still trying to decide whether he loves you. He loved you from the foundation of the earth. He's not still trying to work out whether you've kept your record clean and he wants you in his world. He died, paid the price, sacrificed it so that you would be in his world. What's the consequence of that? The consequence of that is living braver and living bolder. Without the attachment of a heavy burden of wondering if I am enough. Because truthfully, the question isn't whether you are enough. The question is, is he enough? And the answer must surely be, he is more than enough for me. Can you say amen to that? Will you stand with me? Should we pray? There's a team of people who come to the front. Just to let you know the culture here, one or two people are, are heading out to prepare coffee shop for you. But the culture is um, just to have some people come to the front that we endorse um, and, and train and pray with. And if at, at any time in a service you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit on anything, it doesn't have to be what we talked about, but on anything, you feel like you'd like a personal prayer, you just make your way to the front after the service and someone will pray with you. It would be probably wiser for ladies to ask a lady to pray for them and men to ask a man to pray for them. And certainly, if you'll wait a minute or two, we will come to you. We're not in a hurry. We've got nothing else on tonight but to hang out with you. And there's communion on either side of the stage every Sunday. And those who know what they're doing concerning communion, you should go and serve communion and receive it. And there's confidential prayer request cards you can pray. But I'd like for us to just pray tonight that God will break any transactional kind of relationship with him and feel the freedom of being right with God. Like that's the, that's the thing, right? If I'm right with God, I can't be abused by people or by religious systems because there's no hook. I'm free. So Lord, we, we thank you that you put us right with you. Through, through no uh, value or effort uh, or, or sacrifice um, that, that we offered, uh, you made us right with you and you did it because you loved us and you did it because you chose us and called us and you wiped the slate clean and you set us right with you. And tonight, we pray, Lord, that we'll settle some things in our hearts. Debts we feel are unpaid and unreasonable sacrifices we feel we have to constantly make and transactions we keep records of, settle them tonight in the name of Jesus so that we will feel absolutely free. We will approach each person and each relationship and each engagement with you with the freedom of knowing 
that you genuinely love us and care for us and that you have our very best at heart, that you have prepared good works for us that we should walk in them. And while we're in this space, um, if you've been in a transactional relationship with God, so you keep negotiating with Him and you're not sure where you stand with Him as a result, I'd, I'd like to settle that. Like that would be, if we did that before you went to coffee tonight, that would be the best night. Is if you could say, I've been up and down. I've had, I've had an up and down relationship with God. Sometimes I think it's a fair and sometimes I think it's not. And I just, need to, I just need to settle it all. Sometimes I think He's unhappy with me and I can't get to heaven and get there. I'd love to just settle that. So if that's the space you're in, um, I'm going to invite you to take an action. The action doesn't save you, but it does help you take a step and every step matters. And if you're here in that space or season, just while we're in this private or confidential space. Would you raise your hand and say, uh, George, would you just include me in that prayer? I would like you to pray for me that I am settled in my walk with God. I'm right with God and I don't want this up and down thing anymore. Thank you. Thank you. Just long enough for me to sit. Kind of if I squint, I can see through the... Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Over here on my left, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people. and So a whole bunch of people right up back towards entrance one. Um, and, and what I'd encourage you, thank you over here also, what I encourage you to do, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite you just to whisper it under your breath. But what I'd encourage you to do is like connect with someone, find someone in this church and say, hey, do you go to a Bible study or a small group or come here on a Wednesday night and join Alpha or do something, take an action only to snap you out of your routine and disrupt your status quo and put you back onto a new path. I think that would be amazing. So if you would like, just pray this prayer under your breath, um, out loud, any, any format you like. It's an invitation to be right with God. That's it. So it goes like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to me, for becoming the loudest voice in my heart. Please silence the voices of the accuser and the condemner and the debt collector. Help me follow you freely as you take charge of my life. Please forgive me for negotiating with you. I surrender instead, joyfully, in Jesus' name. Amen.